Hi, I'm Patricia Marshall Harris, the host of Dishing with Patricia. May is designated as Mental Health Awareness Month. I've decided to focus on the growing crises called mental health. Welcome back to Dishing with Patricia. My special guest today is Dr. Melissa Cipollini. Melissa, thank you so much for agreeing to come. Tell me, give me your story. Who are you? What are you about? Sure. So I'm um, a psychologist. I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, um, but I work more as a forensic psychologist. Okay. Um, so I work with uh, the public sector. I work with law enforcement and the legal system. Um, I have a lot of experience working on both on all sides. I would say of the legal system from. Um, the public safety positions all the way to offenders um, and I provide therapy and treatment. And what made you get into this? <laughs> what happened in your life that, that put you on that journey to wanting to help? That's a good question. Um, I think everybody that goes into this field wants to help. Um, but I think for me in particular, so I'm an immigrant. I'm from originally from Peru. I came when I was four. Um, so I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, and just being an immigrant child, I think I grew up really fast, but I always had to um, help my family, help my community. So I started getting into a position where I was like in between two worlds. And sometimes uh, maybe like the American world didn't really understand my family or what they were trying to say. And I would step in and kind of help them and vice versa. Sometimes my family wouldn't really understand Correct. the outside world, so I would translate that. And I think that put me in a position where I wanted to work with people that the general public doesn't always understand right. and hear their stories and be, in a sense, the one that can kind of like connect them Correct. with the outside world and also kind of help the outside world understand their story. An advocate. Sure, yes. <laughs> we know that there's a lot of misconception and biases that our public figures have, the police, the judicial system, even hospitals. Tell me how we can bridge that gap and change that around because we know it exists. How can we help? I think the help really comes in a lot of different ways and a lot of different fields need to really come together. Yes. And number one, have awareness and accountability of those biases because I think a lot of times certain systems will want to say, you know, oh, maybe in the past it was like that, but now it's not. And as we see, that's just not true. So I think having awareness and accountability of the things that exist is number one. And then number two, doing something about how that affects our society, right? So in my neck of the woods, yes. to speak with psychology, adults are treated a lot of um, adolescents, whether it's been in and out of like uh, judicial systems or just, you know, regular like outpatient therapy, but I've treated a lot of individuals who have been brought up with experiences of racism or discrimination um, and how that affects them, right? Like that is a trauma and I think our society doesn't necessarily embrace it as such, but it is. And then that has effects on how that individual is going to see themselves and their identity interact with others in the world and especially interact with people uh, in authority figures as well, right? And so all of those things need to be brought into the individual's awareness and, and dealt with because I think there's also a lot of pain that comes there when you're misunderstood. Not only do I think that we need representation of whatever your race or your gender is across the board in our society, 
but particularly in the public service area, that we need someone that is there to help represent us. So when you when you're having it just for example, when you have someone that is going before the court system or someone that is um, getting their green card or all of these types of things, don't you think it's important that they have an advocate because there is a miscommunication with what someone says versus what someone writes? Absolutely, I think that would be a great thing to have. Logistically, I know unfortunately working in some of these systems like funding is rarely there um, and I think a lot of the times it's, it comes down to issues of like time and money um, and unfortunately a lot of these systems that should have a lot of like kind of extra support yeah. for of those things have the opposite and people are overtired they're overworked and and that is another thing that I think we don't often talk about that when people when the human body is not at its peak, right? If we're stressed out, if we're tired, if we're hungry, we just do not operate at our best capacity. And then that's when we kind of operate as a default. And that then translates to a lot of the times when people are in that state, biases that they might have are more likely to come out because they're operating with less kind of control. Then if you're, you know, if you're well rested and if you're paid well and everything's great in the world, then you're able to have a little bit more self-control and if you have you know biased thoughts that pop through your head you might have the capability of being like wait no let me think this through let me find a way of understanding the person and coming to terms but if you're exhausted you don't really have the time and space to do that and you just kind of operate on what is that quick thing that i can remember um, so i think one way of kind of helping with things would be helping the, the personnel in these systems. Um, and I think there's, there's often a lot of training on these topics, which is great. We always want more education and help people learn, um, learn about other, like people of other cultures or other genders or just kind of other groups in themselves because through exposure is how we really break a lot of these biases. Um, but I think there's also something about making sure that our people are well, you know, like mentally, physically, yes. in all senses, so that they can use the tools that we teach them in, the, in these critical moments. I, you know, in um, Colorado, they, um, they did a trial study. I don't know if, if it's going to continue ongoing, that um, when someone is having a mental crisis, they, they don't call the police department. Mm -hmm. They call social services and they always have a um, mental health advocate there. Because once you call the police, things change. Can you tell me something? I mean, we know that the police traditionally, we thought they were there to help, but sometimes they escalate uh, a situation instead of de-escalating the situation. Someone that is inexperienced, that doesn't speak very much English. How do we diffuse a situation before it gets out of hand? If you have more representation then for these examples and maybe you have somebody who speaks the language and then can go um, translate right maybe you just have more bodies and therefore people can you know there's power in numbers so people can de-escalate the situation but that aside on the individual level i think the things that we can do is almost just kind of try and having and like de-escalating ourselves and 
also being aware of like our own biases and triggers, right? Because the reality is we might also have uh, some biases against authority figure, figures, right? And that probably comes from either own experience or uh, family members' experiences, right? Whether I lived through something or I heard of something from so-and-so and, -so and right. from 10 people, then it's like, oh, of course it's gonna happen to me. So, and, and people often don't talk about that, right? Like secondhand trauma, that it doesn't have to have happened to you, but hearing about it and being so close to it is just as traumatizing for you as well, right? Um, so I think having that awareness, right? That like, okay, I'm probably gonna feel this bias in this situation. If police are getting involved in a situation, there's probably something going on, so I'm gonna be afraid, naturally, like anybody would be. And so how can I manage myself so that I can be as like cognitively aware of how to handle the situation? You're in a group of teenagers. You're sitting there and you're talking with them. Tell me something that you would suggest to them that would ensure if they have a confrontation with someone of authority that they're able to leave that room. They're not going to be hurt. So how, tell me some things that maybe you can say to them if this situation happens to you because so often now we have to help de-escalate the issue while they're escalating the issue and we're over hyper trying to explain. Give me some things that's gonna save somebody's life. I think sometimes just taking a breath, right? And recognizing like, okay, this is a really scary situation for me. Let me take a breath and try and calm myself. And and for the record, you know, I don't know that it's it's fair that it's on us as civilians or necessarily no. on children, right? To be the ones that are having to de-escalate themselves and in turn de-escalate the whole situation. But aside from that, that's where we're at. And so doing the things to kind of self-soothe yourself and, and bring your emotion down enough so that you can then respond like thinking. So any human being, right, especially children, but any of us, if we're too emotionally active, we're not thinking. Right. There's just no way, right? We're just acting based on emotion. So I would suggest, you know, take some deep breaths, think of something that's calming, think of, you know, a situ like a place that you like. like. I'm a beach person, so if I think about the beach, that's gonna calm me down doing something like that, right? Um, and maybe calling somebody, like calling mom, calling dad, calling teacher, grandma, whoever you think of that could, you know, be safe in that situation. Um, and maybe even just kind of talking about that, just openly saying like, hey, you know, so-and-so, like, I'm a little scared right now. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to do anything. Um, I think, that would also be helpful because I think a lot of the times what happens that makes the situation escalate is miscommunication um, and everybody is scared and so when both sides are scared they immediately think oh this is the enemy right because we're human beings and we we're animals as well if you think about it and so when we feel threatened the instinct is either to fight back or to run or to pause and not do anything but really is to protect ourselves um, and so I think if we look at it that way, there's a, when things de-escalate, both parties are threatened, both parties feel afraid, and so they just sense anything that the other party's doing as proof that there's a threat. So I think being able to call that out, like, hey, I know we're both scared here, so how can we work through that? 
let's both calm down. Let's try and bring it down so that we can get to the common goal, right? And the common goal being, we're both leaving here without right. any issues. Right, without any issues. Um, we know that there are a lot of narcissists, <laughs> um, narcissistic personalities going on in our world right now. How do we maneuver that, that minefield? Someone, they may be your boss. It could be the person sitting next to you. How do we do that? What are the skills that we need to do? And to recognize it, you know, that you know that this person is like, they got some stuff going on, and but I can't leave, this is my job. It could mm. be the CEO of that company. This is my job. I gotta feed my children. So that stress brings on some mental issues for you yourself sure. as the person. So, and I need this job. So tell me, how can, what can I do to help me keep my job without being victimized at the same time. Sure. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, in, in the world of therapy, what you're saying, right, narcissistic personality disorder, there's a whole list of different personality disorders, <laughs> but that's the one that's getting a lot of attention these days. But we always, you know, as therapists, we joke around and we say, whenever people are coming to therapy, it's usually because they're the ones trying to manage their life with a uh, individual who has a personality disorder. So like we're rarely treating the individual with the <laughs> disorder, but we're treating the people around them who's trying to cope with what's going on. Um, so it's funny you mentioned that, but unfortunately I don't think that there is anything like concrete that we can say this is, this is how you know and if they have this, it's a done deal. Um, because a personality disorder is really hard to to diagnose. I can have my suspicions, um, and especially the younger that an individual is, it can they can have some traits, but that doesn't mean that it's fully to that disorder. So I think a lot of the times now with like social media and things like that, we're getting a little bit of misinformation thinking that it's more prevalent in the population than it really is. But with that said, um, I think when people have narcissistic traits, like what we tend to see as common in the population, it's like a lack of empathy. So they might be pretty self-centered and only think about their goals and what they want and disregard how it might affect other people. They might um, have trouble really knowing or perceiving how their actions and their words affects other people. Um, and those are typically the things that we're like, how do I deal with this? Right. Um, so I always advocate for having really strong boundaries with yourself and if something feels wrong, it is wrong and it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you can't prove it. Um, I think individuals who have a narcissistic personality disorder will often have trouble perceiving the same things that you might be perceiving because of this lack of awareness for themselves. So you can sit there until you're blue in the face trying to get them to understand. <laughs> And they're just not, and, right. and that's okay, right? Like getting them to understand that they hurt you doesn't stop them from hurting you. So what you can do is again, set those boundaries. If I don't like this, what are you gonna do to not have it happen? Not how are you gonna stop them from doing it? Because we can't. But you're setting your boundaries, what you will not allow. Exactly. And just set that. How do I take myself out of that? How do you take yourself out of that? And then you spoke on forensic, forensic yes. sides. So how do you apply that to your community 
and in your job and in your day-to-day -day life? How do we really, because we think of forensics, we think of, oh my God, you went to a crime scene, that this is this. So tell us what actually is forensic, I mean, in the, in your profession, because forensic, as I just said, we're thinking, oh, they're, they're collecting blood, they're yeah. doing this, and that's not itself. No, no, I'm not collecting blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so forensic psychology is a side of psychology that, um, I guess the way to summarize it is that deals with the legal system. So um, often we are doing therapy or evaluations within like the jail system, um, at the outpatient level, um, I've treated individuals who have come out of the uh, jail system and are either on probation or on parole, um, and therapy is like a stipulation of uh, right. the requirements. Um, I've often dealt with individuals that we need to evaluate for the court, um, especially like in a state hospital, and seeing if they are either mentally stable to come home. You know, what's important is that we recognize that people, um, you know, they go to jail for a, any merit of reasons, but they need therapy too to come back into our society. Absolutely. And that's something that we have to advocate towards. So what is that approach? Is that necessarily just all in the legal system? Or once they're no longer in jail and they've done with their probation, that they're no longer responsible to get treatment for therapy? Um, some individuals are considered needing to have therapy forever. So I want to go back to the issue of police and dealing with mental health issues. Um, we've seen on television that, um, you know, people call the police and they've stipulated my child is in a mental crisis. I'm telling you ahead of time, when they're calling 911, they're saying, can you send a mental health professional instead of the police. It's, shouldn't there be some system instead of 911, maybe 622 or something that lets them know that it is a mental crisis versus a police crisis? For sure, I think that would be an excellent idea. Um, like I know that they've been working on a number, like a three-digit number for suicide. Um, yes. To you know, so yeah, I think that would be an excellent idea to have something that distinguishes from this, you know, we need police or we need help because there's a crime versus we need help because this individual is really sick and we don't know what to do with it. Um, I know the city or like, you know, various cities in, in the country have um, like mobile crisis units where you can call those units and, ha and say, pretty much say that like this individual is experiencing mental health symptoms we need help, like, but that's usually for, we need to get them to a hospital. Um, okay. And so they will come and it's mental health professionals, so they'll come and they'll take care of the person and they'll send them to a hospital. The issue with that is not a lot of people know that. Um, I didn't even know that until I started working in the field right. and um, with insurances, I, I was told like, oh, this is something that we can tell our clients or our patients, like if this ever happens, you know, use utilize this tool but it's not something that's widely known um but i think maybe something that would help is is getting that uh, more awareness of that to the public so that people know people themselves can differentiate and say okay this is more of a mental health issue let's call crisis right. instead of the police right because I, I think as a society we know anytime i need help the immediate call the police yes the police. call the police right. in the ideal world 
can you help tell my audience some things that's going to help us maneuver through this minefield of mental health crisis from the legal system? Because you're in this, in the legal system. But just this going to, as you just said, make sure we get home the next day. Or to recognize something that you could say, hey, you know, that person is having an issue. How can we help them? So, you know, if your family, you're going home for Easter dinner, what would be some things that you say to some of your young cousins or your brother, your sister, say, I love you, but I want you to come home. These are the things that is going to help you get home because of the biases that is going on in our world that they too have mental issues. Yeah, I mean, I think something that might be helpful is just um, having people remember like, kind of what you said, of, there's a lot of biases out in the world and the reality is we don't know what's going on in somebody's mind. So if you're seeing a situation and something inside of you is like, mm, I don't know about this, something seems off about this person, you might not know. And, and frankly, you know, the community aren't trained professionals and you shouldn't really know, right? You shouldn't be able to tell right off the bat what's going on with somebody. But I think we all have a sense of self and we can kind of tell like something is just not clicking with this individual, right? And so if you're, if you find yourself in that situation, um, I think determining is it best for me to just step away and kind of protect myself and, and move away from the issue? Um, or if you really feel inclined, then calling for help and just stating that, stating what you're seeing. And maybe I think like we talked about before, reiterating, hey, they're, I'm not in threat. This person is not a danger to me. They're not being violent. They're not threatening me. I'm not threatening them you know, there's no threat going on here. I just think they're sick and I think that they need help. Can, who can better help me? Is it police if I'm calling 911? Can I call a different number? Um, I think something to remember too, though, is I think often we find individuals who are uh, mentally un unstable or going through like a emotional instability and it can be frightening to the untrained eye. Yes. And we can often perceive it as a threat. They're going to be violent towards me. They're going to hurt me. Um, and that's often not the case. Often, well, if, if somebody is having like moments of emotional instability or if they're um, having a psychotic episode where they're seeing things or hearing things or, or perceiving reality in a, in a distorted or in a different way, then the risk is there, of course, um, but it doesn't have to be. And so something that we can do is calm that down too. Maybe instead of, like, yes, reminding ourselves that they're not going to hurt me if I don't hurt them and also saying, eh, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to threaten you. Because often um, when an individual is dysregulated like that, they're perceiving you as a threat or they're hurt or right. they're afraid, right? So also just reminding them like everything is fine Let's so the family if the family called they should kind of step in immediately say this is why i'm calling you they're having to admit try to explain that to de-escalate the situation before it's escalated yeah. and someone goes home hurt um I, I mean, I, I thank you. So part of um, Dishing with Patricia is we believe that food is medicine. So our tea that we're drinking is hibiscus and ginger, which is good for us. Um, 
my recipe for this tea will be on my website because ginger and then hibiscus helps in lowering the blood pressure. Yeah. And all of these things, we need to also be concerned about what we're eating. When we're in a stressful situation, that also allows us to maneuver. You gotta eat healthy, you gotta keep a clear mind. So I'm, I thank you, Melissa, for coming. No problem, and I thank you for doing this and having this platform because I really think in order to be able to advocate, we need the platform to really educate the public, educate um, the people in the system, educate all of the community on mental health and what it looks like and what it doesn't look like to you know spread that knowledge so that we can do these things that we're talking about so. well thank you so much <laughs> so until next time bye